So I, I think my very favorite thing about this gathering is the way that it illuminates the fact that there are an astounding number of people that go into uh, making an experience like this in this community called Narrate Possible. You know, people like Kate and others have been thinking about music for months and months and months. She was listening to Christmas music when nobody wants to listen to Christmas music. And then there was all this coffee planning and cookie planning and the usher training and the greeter training. Uh, thanks to places like Vans for helping us with the cookies. And then Lasso the Moon with the kids' gifts and the choir and uh, the tech team. I mean, there's just an astounding number of people who make all this possible. So uh, thanks to all of you who played a part in that. It's, it's really a fun treat. Uh, you know, the hardest part about Christmas is we, we already know the story, uh, but that doesn't change the, the value and the importance of said story. And I think the way that I want to frame it this year is what if Christmas, what if it has a way of bagging us uh, to ask ourselves honest questions about the image of God that we're carrying around with us? Like, what exactly is that image? Who is that God? Uh, do we like that God? Do we not like that God? How does he or she feel about us? And I think it's important to say that uh, we're not asking what's the orthodox or the accurate or, or the biblical way, because even if those things do in fact exist, probably none of us are going to spot on find them 100, uh, 100% of the time or even get 100% on the test. But what we're asking is what's the image you carry around with you? You know, you can think of it like this. Uh, it occurred to me this week that about 20 years ago, I, I first started hanging out in a, in a local church in, back in Billings, and I was... Uh, somewhat refreshed at what I was hearing and kind of just captured by the message as a 19-year-old trying to figure out what in the world life was about. And on Christmas, I think it was at a Christmas gathering, but I can't remember for sure whether that it came, whether it was given to us or came in the mail. Uh, but on Christmas, the, the church gave us a card, and in the card was an image. In this case, it was a picture of the staff. And this was a large church with a staff of like 50 or 60 people. And so I didn't think much of it. I was living in my sister's basement at the time. And I think she is the one that took the picture and put it on the refrigerator. Uh, a couple months later, I'd been hanging around, for this, around this church for a little bit longer, and there was this gal who worked there who I thought was about my age and I kind of wanted to ask out, but as new as I was to the church scene, I was even more new to the church dating scene, and so I was all kinds of apprehensive. So I'd just get the thought out of my head, and then weeks would pass, and I'd bump into her again. She, she worked in the kids' team, and I started volunteering there, and then there were these other kind of community things that I was uh, bumping into her at. Uh, my fear was, though, that I knew that my exposure in this new community was really, really good for me. Uh, my fear was that if I asked her out and then that didn't go well, which would have been to her credit, uh, that I, I just, I think it was a gift of God. I just knew myself well enough then that if that didn't go well, if we went on a few dates and she figured out I was a moron, or if she just said no, I just knew that I would never show my face there again. So I was really, really hesitant to even ask. But the thought wouldn't go away, and it wouldn't go away, and neither would the hormones and everything else that comes with being 19 years old. And so the, at the time, I was working for Coca-Cola, just stocking shelves at grocery stores, and I would go home at lunch, and I'd make myself a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. And so for about a week, I'd make my peanut butter and jelly sandwich. I would take the picture off the refrigerator and put it on the, the, the table. And this is kind of creepy. And I would just... <laughs> stare at the picture, trying to figure out whether or not I'd like her and she'd like me. And for me, it was a, a fairly spiritual thing of this, like, God, I don't want to over-dramatize this, but I don't want to ask if this isn't a good idea. And so I just stare at the image, which I'm told Marley says that now you do that on Instagram if you're a student. So you still do it, you just do it differently. Uh, but it's that, that image. Eventually, I did ask her out, and the rest is history, and she still hasn't figured out that I'm a moron, though that's very true. 
It's that idea of an image that I want to get you thinking about. Like, and the idea that we, we carry images around with us. Some of you can remember, uh, you don't have to raise your hand, but some of you can remember that it wasn't that long ago that if someone asked you uh, to see a picture of your son or daughter or grandson or granddaughter or, or the person you were dating, you would pull out your wallet, remember this? And it's like every wallet sold in America had those little plastic inserts and you would thumb through the insert and you would find the picture of your daughter. Do you remember this? I remember in middle school that it, that it was kind of like trading cards when the pictures came back because if you could get the pretty girls to give you their picture, then they would write nice stuff on the back of it and you would save it and then later if you were dating them, you could show that off to your friends. How many of you still have those pictures in your wallet? <laughs> we don't do that, but we still do it, don't we? Like now we have it digitally. In fact, we don't have 10 or so pictures. Uh, we have hundreds, thousands, if you have connection to the internet. In fact, we don't just have pictures of people. We have pictures of waffles and beaches and like, disemboweled elk and all kinds of different things <laughs> on our phones. And we've also added this thing called a selfie, which I think is a good innovation because we don't just see the image of the person we're looking at, but we see our image reflected back at us as well. In fact, we thought it'd be kind of fun just here to hit pause, and if you haven't done this yet, you can take your phone out and hit that little half moon thing. Uh, but actually, we thought it'd be fun to invite you to take a selfie, and then Hannah's gonna talk later about what you can do with that if you want. But seriously, the loved one you're with, you wanna pull out your phone and take a selfie, we're gonna give you a, about 30 seconds to do that, and then I'm gonna be total hipster, and I'm gonna use a, what are these things called? A selfie stick to, to take one with all of you. So go ahead, take your selfies. You're not taking a selfie, Dan? <laughs> Come on, we're going to call you out if you're not taking a selfie. Yeah, good call on the lights. Okay. Moms, I said one selfie, not 14, right? Like, that's the problem with this thing. So now we're going we're gonna to take one together, right? And we'll, we'll oh, geez. Uh, I tried to get, there we go. Okay, so we're going we're gonna to try to take one together. It might take a few, but are you ready? Oh, geez. First, I've got to flip it. Don, I don't know what you've got to do to make, see here, ready? Ah, uh, one, two, three, we'll, we'll do a few. Oh, oh man. There we go, okay, let's do that one. Okay, ready, everybody, one, two, three. And I'm the most unphotogenic person ever, so nobody will ever want to see these, ready? Okay, one more. Do we have the, oh yeah, we've got it all the way to the top. All right. Here's the question that I want to ask, though, is what's, uh, whether you're pro-God or anti-God or Christian God or Jewish God, however it is you're thinking about God, whatever image it is you're carrying around with you, what if Christmas invites us, uh, no matter what your bias, no matter what your conviction, no matter what your current belief system, uh, to at least look at an image? Because Christmas is nothing if it's not a very unique, countercultural look at this image of God. This, this story... In fact, it has quite a number of characters. Uh, it, it, it starts with what, what, I, what I think from my own study uh, was probably a 12 or 13-year-old girl. 
Uh, a girl that, like every 12 and 13-year-old girl, had plans and aspirations and ideas. She had a love for God and a moxie and a chutzpah. Uh, she wasn't well-educated. She didn't come from an affluent family. In fact, she didn't come from Jerusalem, and her dad wasn't a priest. She was just a young 12-year-old girl engaged to be married, which was very typical in that culture, with lots and lots of plans. And God showed up and said, uh, Mary, you, should you choose, can be the mother of the Messiah. And here's the catch. Uh, the father will be me. Now, we can't get our brain around exactly how that could or, or would work. But what we can perhaps get our brain around is we consider who is this God and what is the image that he offers on Christmas. What perhaps is more important is that she said Yes, at great cost to herself, without necessarily knowing where that road would lead, she had the right hand turned all mapped out, and God invited her to go left, and she said yes. And then there's another character, another image on Christmas. And I think this image, uh, at the risk of being sexist, because the Mary image I think is astounding, but the Joseph one to me is so appropriate of the God as revealed in the text, because what we know about Joseph is very little. Probably 18 or so years old, if we're going with convention, 18 and 12 kind of stuff. Very blue collar, probably spent his working life, which would have been into his early 30s at best, as a, as a tecton, as a stonemason, building columns and things for a Greek city called Sepphoris, which was just, it's almost a stone's throw from Nazareth. But to me, what's astounding about Joseph is that Mary came home and said, hey, bad news, I'm pregnant. Good news, it's not yours. <laughs> and he had every religious and legal right to do whatever he wanted to her at that point. Humiliation was in play for sure. So was capital punishment. And what the text tells us about Joseph is instead he had in mind to divorce her quietly because in this culture, engagement was legally binding. The, the ceremony, if you will, happened at the engagement. But Joseph didn't want to throw the book at her and he didn't want to humiliate her and he didn't want to relegate her to a life of prostitution, which is probably what she was looking at. He also had his own pride and so he was going to slip away quietly and, and let her figure out her life and go with her story. And God interrupted him and said, Joseph, it's, she's not lying. And imagine the, the humility, the humiliation that Joseph had to go along with her story. She claims to have had an experience with God he did too, but imagine, imagine the mockery and the pain that he endured. And here's, to me, if we're asking what's the image of God in this story that's astounding, is beyond that, we know almost nothing of Joseph. Just a humble dude following God, not because it would make him famous, but because he felt like that's what he wanted to do. And then there's, of course, the baby, and I think the thing that we have to be careful here is our familiarity. God chose to come as a human slash God. And anybody who claims to be able to explain that perfectly is dangerous in my view. But nonetheless, that's what Orthodox Christianity has been saying for 2,000 years. But what's astounding to me is God's coming to earth. He's the most powerful, most important person to ever be here. That's the claim. And yet he didn't come as a 26-year-old self-reliant male. He didn't come as one of the mythical God creatures who looks like he spends all his off time in the gym. He, 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 wasn't, he, he wasn't able to take care of himself. He came as an infant, which to me just blows up 
a lot of my God images that this God who supposedly wants to work with people worked with them to the extent that God's savior, this, this, this baby who would put creation back on tracks, who would fully and finally deal with the, the, the sin, the brokenness, the evil that's been marring God's creation, all of that dependence was born into a baby and two first-time parents. And probably all of us parents can go, boy, that's tough. It should have at least been the third. <laughs> and then, and then, there's, then there's shepherds. And... And the shepherd story is, it's a little bit more predictable because David was a shepherd and Moses was a shepherd. Maybe what's worth pointing out is when it came time to pay a visit to the hospital, it wasn't parents and grandparents and it wasn't Herod coming to visit the king and it wasn't the priests and it wasn't the religious establishment. God thought it best that the most appropriate visitors at what was probably a cave were shepherds. These, these men who who have no name, who, at least not one that we know, whose very existence was about taking care of pathetic sheep, helpless sheep. And I think the question again is, what's the image of God of that? And then, and, and then there's the star that appears. And, and the star, uh, we, we can talk a little bit about that. But there's a star that shows up and pays a visit to three what we often call wise men. Uh, Matthew, the gospel writer, the first gospel writer, uh, well, in order, not the first, I'm going to get caught up on those details. Uh, he, he, calls them, he calls them magi. Now the question is, what's a magi? Well, the, the answer is it's an astronomer, astrologer type that's different things in our culture, the same thing in theirs. And in a culture that lacked any semblance of electricity, uh, in a culture that, that didn't have street lights or LED screens, what they had was a night sky full of stars and planets. And the value, the belief was that if something significant, because everything for them was interconnected, and the belief was that if something significant happened uh, in, in the sky, in the stars, with the planets, then that would be reflected in something significant happening on the planet. And conversely, if something significant happened on the planet, they believed that if it was really significant, it would be reflected into the stars. And so the story is that these magi, we're never told they're three, what we're told is that they offered two vases and a chest, or McDonald's and some, some water. The three comes from what was actually offered, probably it was an entourage of 20, 30, 40, 50 people because powerful, wealthy people like these guys go places with an entourage that protects them and supports them and this was probably a reasonably long journey just based upon the time frame of the story. But the question is, what's the star? And of course, we, we don't know. Fortunately, some people understand science. I've never been accused of that. But they can wind the clock back and they can tell us what was happening in, this, in the stars. One of the things they can tell us is that Halley's Comet in somewhere like 12 or 11 BC would have been visible in the night sky. And so some wonder if what they saw was Halley's Comet. That seems a bit too far from the perfect year zero. Uh, others think that, that it was a supernova. Just some astounding thing happened in the sky and that drew their attention. To me, personally, the one that's most compelling, though I don't think it matters that you necessarily have an opinion, uh, is, is something that happened in 7 BC. Because when they wind the clock back, what they know is that the planets Jupiter and Saturn intersected three times in 7 BC. Now, in this culture, Jupiter was the kingly planet. It was associated with people like Caesar and Herod. 
Saturn was, by some cultures, not all, but it was the planet of the Jewish people. And so some feel that what is most likely is that this intersection of the kingly planet and the Jewish planet told these foreign kings, these foreign astrologer, astronomer, magi type, that that something significant happened in Israel. Maybe they felt sorry for the Jewish people because they knew Herod wasn't all that kind. We don't know. But again, if we're asking the question, what's the image of God in the story, to me what's remarkable is that 2,000 years ago, this God was already having conversations about not being a proprietary God. That there's a message here that this God isn't just for the Jewish people. He's not just for one people. He's for all people. Matthew's gospel opens with the Magi and ends with Jesus saying, go into all the world and all the world and do what? Pass out tracks and scream into megaphones. No, point God out who this God is and what this God is like and point back to this day called Christmas. So here's the question. What's the image of God that you carry around with you? And I guess uh, I want to push you a little bit and say whether you're a cradle atheist or a fundamentalist Christian, whether you're Buddhist or Hindu or Jewish or whatever it is that you practice spiritually right now, you, you carry an image, probably not a picture in your wallet, Probably not even a picture on your phone, but you carry one. And I wonder if Christmas is the opportunity to go, what, what is that image? And is that image still helpful? What does that image say back to you? And does that image speak back to you truth or some, some toxic thing that you're just repeating what you've heard elsewhere from people like me in places like this? See, I wonder if part of what this story affirms is that all of our images of God are constantly in flux. If we're not careful, what religion does is it says, here's the right thing, and if you stop believing this right thing, if your image of God changes at all, then you've screwed it up and you've done it wrong. And probably some of you don't associate with Jesus at all because that's the impression that you have. But here's reality, isn't it? That the image of God that you had when you were six years old is is different than the image of God you have now that you're in middle school. And the image of God that you had in middle school is different than the one now that you walk the halls of Capitol High or Helena High. And quite honestly, the image of God you carry now that you've spent a semester in Bozeman or Missoula is different than the one you carried just nine months ago while you were walking the halls of a high school. And the image of God you have now that you've had your first baby, many of you have infants with you and you so wish we would have done childcare. Thank you for your trust. (laughs) Here's a question. What, what, What does being a parent do to your image of God? What does being a grandparent do to your image of God? What what does suffering do to your image of God? Some of you have experienced excruciating loss. Loved ones dying tragically or or of disease. What's that do to your image of God? Some of you have moved. I think if we're being honest, the person who, who, who lives in the business world of Seattle is bound to have a different image for God than the person who lives in Helena, Montana. And I wonder if part of the opportunity of Christmas is the reminder that this God is secure. He's fundamentally secure with his ability to be present to you. And the reality is, if you're following him, your image of God is going to shift. Why? Because with the best of intentions, we can pursue and we should knowing him accurately. But I wonder if Christmas reminds us that we should also carry that with humility. Because this, 
Nobody saw this coming. In fact, lots and lots of devout religious people got all kinds of sideways because this image of God was so rejected that they were convinced it couldn't possibly have been God. I wonder if the, the, the gift of Christmas is the reminder that what Orthodox Christianity, if that's the phrase we want to use, has said for 2,000 years is the, the most cohesive comprehensive image of God that we've ever been given is this baby and the 33 years that followed in this baby's life. And I wonder if the the reminder of Christmas is every time we, we stare at that image of God that we're carrying and we don't like it, the opportunity is to go back to the baby. The vulnerable, helpless baby person who was killed, not because he seized power, but because he refused to seize power. And frankly, sometimes that doesn't mean necessarily going back to the church. It means going back to the story, though I certainly hope you can find a church that'll help you too. And asking honest questions about, here's the image of God I'm carrying. What's the image that God offers through Jesus? See, here's, here's my challenge to whatever degree you want one, is I wonder what would happen if if you were to say something to God, and you don't even have to tell anyone you do this, and you don't have, definitely don't have to say it out loud, but what would happen if you were to say, hey, uh, God, I think my image of you is, is less than perfect. If 2019 could be about sharpening that image, I would be grateful. If it's true, God, that you're all around me, present to me, that your son's spirit is pervasive, God, then I just invite you to interrupt me this year and sharpen my image of you. So I'm going to create some noise in the form of prayer and create some silence for you if you want to have your own private moment with God and say some of that stuff to God and then we'll jump back in. God, Lord, uh, we're, we're grateful for the effort that you put into being understood well and dare we call it accurately. God, we're also grateful for the humility uh, that is yours, that your story is full of people who got almost everything wrong, but the one thing they got right was trust in you. We understand, Lord, that it's not just Google who can write good algorithms, that you can as well. And so, God, in the silence and solitude of this moment on this hectic, busy day, if there's a desire on your end to help us know you better, God, we invite you to spend 2019 graciously disrupting our image of you. Not just for the sake of intellect and theology, uh, but for the sake of those that we're trying to love uh, and the relationship with you we're trying to form. We love you, God. Amen. If you would like to engage further with Narrate Church, you can find contact information online, www.narratechurch.org. We would love to hear from you.